So, Srimad Bhagavad Gita as it is. Chapter 13, Nature, the Enjoyer, and Consciousness. And tonight we'll be reviewing the verses where Krishna explains the the interaction of the three items that he's described earlier. So if we look back to the beginning of the chapter, we see Arjuna's inquiry. Arjuna said, Oh my dear Krishna, I wish to know about Prakriti, nature, Purusha, the enjoyer, and the field and the knower of the field and of knowledge and the supreme object of knowledge. Krishna began by explaining the field of activity, being the material elements and the modes of material nature. That's one specific energy of the Supreme Lord called Shakti. One of his Shaktis is the material elements. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. The Lord, first of all, explained what are those separated material aspects of his material energy. What what exactly are those? They are the field of activities. They are everything that we experience and try to interact with in a mood of enjoyment in the material world. Then Krishna went on to explain what's knowledge. He gave 20 items, which were the constituents of knowledge. Now this knowledge is transcendental knowledge. What is really of, of substance to the soul are these 20 items. And those items were relayed in verses 8 through 12. I'm going to repeat them because it's interesting. We need to, we need to focus on, okay, we understand the Lord's external energy. We're here and we, we understand earth, water, fire, air. We have some conception of that. Now, when we talk about these items of knowledge, these are separate. These are separate from those elements of material nature. Krishna explains, humility, pridelessness, nonviolence, tolerance, simplicity, approaching a bona fide spiritual master, cleanliness, steadiness, self-control, renunciation of the objects of sense gratification, absence of false ego, the perception of the evil of birth, death, old age, and disease, detachment, freedom from entanglement with children, wife, home, and the rest, even-mindedness amid pleasant and unpleasant events, constant and unalloyed devotion to me, aspiring to live in a solitary place, detachment from the general mass of people, accepting the importance of self-realization and philosophical search for the absolute truth. All these I declare to be knowledge. And besides this, whatever there may be is ignorance. So these are the items which will help advance us spiritually. They're the items which will lead to understanding our true spiritual being and the Lord's true spiritual being. And they're the items which will if we take them and incorporate them in our 
in our life, seriously, they're the items that will lead to freedom from the embodiment in the field of activities. Freedom from repeated birth and death, which is thrust upon us. Freedom from uh, the sufferings of material nature, sufferings created by our mind and our body, sufferings created by other living entities, and sufferings created by the environment itself. Hurricanes, storms, created by higher beings. Providence. (laughs) There's little we can do about these things. When the snow comes, it comes. No one here is going to stop it. Three areas that we, we suffer we suffer at the hands of material nature through these three agencies. And they include our body and our mind. Our mind and body also give us trouble until we can separate our, ourselves from the concept of exploitation and renunciation until we can separate ourselves from those concepts even our own existence is going to give us trouble. So this evening, well, let's go on to the third item, is ourself and the Supreme. Last week we went over over those verses where Krishna explained that within the body there is both the jiva, that's ourself, now this is another, we are are also an energy, a shakti of the Supreme Lord. So we're also one of his energies. And these, these energies are, are basically, Krishna explains, his material energy and himself and all his spiritual energy. And then there's ourselves. And we're in the marginal position. We can go either way. We can either choose to take to our true spiritual nature of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, and, and have a loving relationship with the Supreme Lord. Or we can choose to try to enjoy this external energy. In the verses we reviewed last week, Krishna explained what is the nature of, of the soul and what is the distinction between the individual soul and the supreme soul, the super soul. Now, the super soul is an aspect of the Supreme Lord. It's explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavan Iti Sabjate. The absolute truth, the supreme entity, is understood in, in three aspects. His impersonal energy. Some people just see God as the energy that permeates everything. Brahmeti. Paramatmeti, as that living entity who resides with us and oversees all of our activities. Bhagavan, the Supreme Lord himself. Those three aspects are all what constitute the absolute truth. They're all the Supreme Lord. But he's realized in different aspects according to the approach of those that uh, aspire to have some relationship with him. This week, we're going to go over a a set of verses which explain how the living entity, ourselves, the jiva, is caught up in the material energy. 
So I'll read the English of the verses and then we'll chant one. I think we'll try to cover eight or ten verses. I'll start with text 19. In text 19, Krishna explains, Thus the field of activities, the body, knowledge, and the knowable have been summarily described by me. Only my devotees can understand this thoroughly and thus attain to my nature. Material nature and the living entity should be understood to be beginningless. Their transformations and the modes of matter are products of material nature. Nature is said to be the cause of all material causes and effect, whereas the living entity is the cause of the various sufferings and enjoyments in this world. The living entity in material nature thus follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to his association with the material nature. Thus he meets with good and evil among various species. Yet in this body there is another, a transcendental enjoyer, who is the Lord, the supreme proprietor, who exists as the overseer, the permitter, and who is known as the super soul. One who understands this philosophy concerning material nature, the living entity, and the interaction of the modes of nature is sure to attain liberation. He will not take birth here again regardless of his present position. Wow. I like that verse. Some perceive the super soul within themselves through meditation. Others through the cultivation of knowledge and still others through working without fruitive desires. Again, there are those who, although not, not conversant in spiritual knowledge, begin to worship the Supreme Person upon hearing about Him from others. Because of their tendency to hear from authorities, they also transcend the path of birth and death. O Chief of the Barts, know that whatever you see in existence, both the moving and the non-moving, is only a combination of the field of activities and the knower of the field. One who sees the super soul accompanying the individual soul in all bodies and who understands that neither the soul nor the super soul within the destructible body is ever destroyed actually sees. So I was thinking this evening we could chant a verse that Prabhupada often quotes. That's text 22. Urusha prakritis yohi bhukte prakriti jangunan karanam gunasangosya the living entity in material nature thus follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to his association with that material nature. Thus he meets with good and evil among various species. I I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. We'll jump back a couple verses and put this <coughs> verse in perspective. So verse 19, Krishna has explained that I've, I've, I've showed the difference between 
the material energy and knowledge and the spiritual energy. And the spiritual energy, the living entity, is of two varieties. The infinitesimal spiritual spark of the Supreme Lord, separated, the Supreme Lord himself, who in this particular chapter is primarily presented in his feature as Paramatma, that supreme entity who pervades and supports the entire material manifestation. So verse 20, material nature and the living entity should be understood to be beginningless. Their transformations and the modes of matter are produced of material nature. The Lord's various energies, just as the Lord is eternal, his various manifestations of energy are also eternal. They're part of his, his being. So the Lord exists not only as his own individual personality, but he also has all those various energies that come from him. So these two energies within, the, within this world, one being his external material energy, and if we go to the seventh chapter, four and five, Krishna explains the same. In four, he explains the material energy and its aspects. Bhumir nalo vayu kam mano buddhirevacha ahankara itiyamme vina prakriti astita. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence and false ego, altogether these eight constitute my separated material energies. And then he goes on in the fifth verse, the seventh chapter, apare yam itas twanyam prakriti vidime param diva bhutam mahabaho yayedam daryate jagat. So aside from the material, besides these, O mighty armed Arjuna, there is another superior energy of mine, which comprises the living entities who are exploiting the resources of this material inferior nature. So the living entity is, is of Krishna's superior energy, spiritual, his fragmental part and parcel, but infinitesimal. So we, we have the same characteristics. We're eternal, we're full of bliss, and we're full of knowledge. The verses we're, gonna, we're covering tonight are going to give us an indication as to how the living entity is caught up in this material energy and illusioned by its influence. So that's, that's our position. Somehow or other, we've come into this atmosphere and Krishna is explaining here what is the interrelationship of his external material energy and ourselves. Material nature and the living entity should be understood to be beginningless. So both of these energies of the Lord are eternal. But they appear to be temporary due to the influence of the external material potency, the material energy. It appears that it's mutable. Although the soul's eternal, Krishna's made this fact perfectly clear in the second chapter. Never was there a time 
Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings, nor in the future will any of us cease to be. So we're eternal. But the circumstances that we're in, those are temporary. They last for some time, and Krishna explained in the second chapter. It's like the seasons. Like the seasons of the year we see year in and year out. Similarly, we change from boyhood to youth to old age. And when old age comes, then there's another course of activity. It's interesting. This will come up from time to time. But Prabhupada deals with it here in a way that we should take to heart. And that is, how did we, being with the Supreme Lord, being His spiritual energy, come into this environment? So if you, if you read the purports, that is the mystery of this material creation. How we got here. How we, how we decided this is, this is for us. Actually, the living entity is originally the spiritual part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. But due to his rebellious nature, he is conditioned within material nature. Then Prabhupada goes on, and this is the important point. It really does not matter how these living entities or superior entities of the Supreme Lord have come in contact with material nature. The Supreme Personality of Godhead knows, however, how and why this actually took place. In the scriptures, the Lord says that those attracted by this material nature are undergoing a hard struggle for existence. But we should know it with certainty from the description of these few verses that all transformations and influences of material nature by the three modes are also productions of material nature. So there's always, especially now we notice, there's two camps and they're, they, they're arguing. Well, the soul came from here or the soul came from there. We were originally with Krishna or we were originally in uh, Krishna's ex-potency or we came from Vishnu. And, of course, you know, these things will, there will be people, according to their level of understanding, they'll take to one conception or another. We, we need to keep our mind focused on advancing in spiritual life. Philosophical discourse is good. It's good for the mind. It strengthens. But useless argument simply to make a point to say, uh, my, I have the right conclusion and your conception <laughs> is wrong, it really doesn't take you anywhere. As we advance in spiritual life, conclusions of spiritual life will automatically manifest. You'll notice as you study Bhagavad Gita, time and time and time again, new and new realizations become apparent your understanding becomes deeper and deeper. As you purify your existence by the practice of devotional service, this is, this is not some mundane knowledge. This is transcendental knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam. These are transcendental. As we purify ourselves, our understanding will become deeper and we will advance spiritually. And those things that in the were were troublesome for us to comprehend philosophically will all of a sudden become easy. Then there'll be another challenge. But what about 
and then we we need to you know we use our our intelligence uh, to to advance. But always remember that one verse, Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says, "My dear Arjuna, what need is there for all this detailed knowledge? With a single spark of my infinite energies, I pervade and support all of this." And if we really think about the the infinity of the Supreme Lord and His unlimited manifestations and energies, what little bit of knowledge can we hold up to understand the Supreme Lord? That doesn't mean we don't strive to understand the Lord, but all these books of knowledge, all this scripture is there to shed a light. But as we purify our heart and advance spiritually, all this knowledge will fade away. When Krishna reveals himself to us, all this knowledge will actually be of little significance because he's so much beyond all the knowledge. The knowledge is a torchlight which lights the way to our spiritual advancement. At a certain point, when you're outside of the darkness of material existence, you can discard the torch. But we can't discard it too quickly. We can't think, well, I'm already spiritually advanced. I don't need to to use my intelligence to try to understand who is God and who am I and what is this nature. That's That's our task at hand now. We need to acquire knowledge. And we're going to read some verses here where Krishna really gives credit to that pursuit. Nature is said to be the cause of all material causes and effects, whereas the living entity is the cause of the various sufferings and enjoyments in this world. So we can see in this verse that nature has one part to play and we also play a part in this entanglement which we call our life. What does nature play in? All right, so I'll, I'll tell you okay. what nature plays. Nature provides the ingredients, provides the field of activity, the body, the senses. What are those constituents? Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. That's what nature provides. But also understand that that nature, that is a shakti, an energy of this Lord. So it has its own deluding power by its influence on the living entity. And what do we have to add to the equation? We have consciousness. The elements of material nature are not conscious. With our consciousness, we can become illusioned by that nature and thinking think that we're enjoying our suffering. Now, we're not the body. We're not the senses. We're not the earth, the water, the fire, the air, the ether, nor the mind, nor the intelligence, nor the false ego or that misconception that I am any of those constituents. We're none of those. But what we bring to the equation is we bring the conception that we are. We think I am. 
I am. I am. I am black, I am white, I'm old, I'm young, I'm smart, I'm dumb, I'm beautiful, I'm ugly. We take all this and we project ourselves into these elements and we assume the illusion that that is our true being. And because of that, we enjoy and we suffer. The elements in and of themselves, they don't enjoy and suffer. They have no consciousness. They're Krishna's external, separated potency. Eternal, they exist, but they go through transformations based upon our assimilation of that conception of existence, which is not based on spiritual reality. So moving on, verse 22. The living entity in material nature thus follows the ways of life, enjoying the three modes of nature. This is due to his association with the material nature. Thus he meets with good and evil among various species. So how many species? Millions. How many? Million. I think it's eight million. Very good. Eight million species of Living entities. Plus there's humans. Yes. So 8,400,000. So the breakdown is as follows. We'll start with the lowest. The lowest is the aquatics. 900,000 aquatics. Okay. Then we go to plants, vegetables, vegetation, trees. 2 million. So 900,000 aquatics. Including orca whales. That can <laughs> Killer whales. That are very big and sometimes get hungry. <laughs> Want to throw you around. <laughs> Playful, yes, probably. <laughs> 200,000 plant, plant life. 200,000. 1,100 worms and reptiles. Dig up the earth anywhere. Just dig up your body anywhere. <laughs> yeah and the worms crawl in and the worms crawl out yeah. so 1,100,000 worms and reptiles and a million birds now understand this is throughout the whole creation so when you go to your biology books and you look up the birds I don't think you'll find a million species on this planet uh, three, three million beasts, four-legged creatures. Dinosaurs. At one time, yes. Yeah. All kinds. All kinds. And there's 400,000 human form. The distinguishing factor between the 8 million and the 400,000, the 400,000 have enough intelligence to ask, how did I get in this mess? The other species, they're just in it. And they're conducted by the modes, by the by material nature. Everything for them is more or less instinctual, is it not? And if you look at the planet, I was just thinking this today. Archie and I were out and was thinking, it's really a lot easier. If you really consider the job of material nature, 
It's only when you come to the human species that everything gets really, really material. I mean, come on, the plants, the animals, everything goes naturally. It's very simple. I mean, jiva, jiva, sajiva, none. They eat each other to survive, but boy, they don't leave a mess behind. It, it more or less than that. Us, ugra karma. We have to make stuff. We make skyscrapers and buildings and cars and pollution, and it goes on and on. We take the poor lesser animals and we put them in a cage to watch them put on a performance for our pleasure and wonder why it jumps out out of the water and kills us. Well, who would do that? It doesn't happen. You don't see the monkeys putting the elephants in cages <laughs> for their pleasure to exploit them. Entertainment. If there's, if there's exploitation in the lower species, it's simply for survival. Krishna is explaining in this verse, we experience this material nature by assuming various forms of life. Now that 400,000, although a minority, is so very important. All the rest of the... That, that is the only section of bodies who have the intelligence to advance spiritually. Not, not available to the lower species of life. We can actually rid ourselves of the misconceptions of material existence and advance to the spiritual platform. We have the intelligence. The dogs, the cats, the bugs, the birds, the beasts, no, not possible. The living entity in material nature thus follows the ways of life enjoying the three modes of nature. Now what are the three modes of nature? Goodness, passion, and ignorance. Living entity is enjoying these modes of nature. This is due to his association with that material nature. And we talked about what is that association. Thus he meets with good and evil among various species. Text 23. A very important text. Yet in the body there is another, a transcendental enjoyer, who is the Lord, the supreme proprietor, who exists as the overseer and permitter, and who is known as the super soul. And it's interesting that the position of super soul with the living entity. Prabhupada gives various, gives translations to these words. Upadrasta, overseer. He sees everything. Everything is, is seen by the Lord. We may be able to avoid the, uh, the eyes of uh, the local constable. <laughs> we may get away with murder or rape or some other foolish uh, sinful activity. But Supersoul is there observing everything we do. So there's no way that the living entity can ever be without the supervision of the Supreme Lord. Uh, Explain the permitter part of it. Next word, anumanta, permitter. Permitter means this, the Lord allows us to accept the misconception that we're this material body and he provides the ingredients for our exploitation. 
So he is the, he's the sanctioning factor for everything that we do. He's, he sanctions our illusion. If we want to turn our back on Krishna, he gives us facility. So I have a question. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, in this area of justice, we, uh, we see that if I permit someone to kill someone, I'm, get, I'm getting, I'm, I'm also guilty of, of this act. Isn't it? Is this how justice works? That, you know, if I, for example, I will ask you to kill him because I order it or I allow it to do that. I don't mm -hmm. intervene or, you know, I know his intention and I don't do anything about it. Actually, I support him and say, leave me alone. You know, this, this is good. Mm -hmm. I'm getting guilt and I'm judged also as some of the, how to say... Responsibility. Yeah. But <coughs> where the Supreme Lord does that, it's just going, you know, nobody blames him. Well, some blames him, but, you know, but uh, still it seems that that's all right for him to do that. Yes. So can you explain that this aspect of justice, you know, how, how the in spiritual realm this is justified, whereas in our realm that's very... It's a sinful activity. Yes. yes. First of all, it has a lot to do with Krishna's bewildering potency. The living entity is thrown in material nature and covered over by bewilderment, uh, by a lack of knowledge, avidya. And that in and of itself is a misconception. So bewildered by misconception, we, we conceive of ourselves as the material body, and we conceive of ourselves as the doer. When in essence, everything is being conducted and carried on by material energy. This is exactly what these verses speak to, is that understanding by which we can understand the distinction between the material energy and the jiva soul consciousness involved in the illusion of exploiting the material energy. So for the Supreme Lord, these are simply all his energies. So his manifestations of energy are always under his control. He's not subject to his energy the way we are subject to his energy. Just as the king... He can go freely throughout his kingdom. And if he wants to change the rules, he can. He's the king. The Lord is the Lord. He makes the rules. He's not subject to those rules. Although you'll find that, generally speaking, he always follows his rules. Uh, to, he says in, in Bhagavad Gita, it's important that someone of knowledge and he's the most knowledgeable, uh, act in such a way that other people will follow his good example. So we find Bhagavad Gita itself, we find the Lord encouraging his dear friend to engage in warfare, in killing. And because he's directing it, because he's the king, because he's the supreme, 
If he directs such activity, that's perfect. If we direct some activity which is not sanctioned by him, and that's why he gives his, his directions, he gives directions through scripture, through various saints and prophets, he gives directions uh, specifically the devotees accept his direction by accepting a, a spiritual master. In that way, we can put ourselves under good guidance so that we are not implicated in sinful activity. And Krishna's conclusion at the end of Bhagavad Gita is what? Sarva Dharma Parichaja. Abandon all if you abandon everything that you conceive to be good or bad and simply surrender to me, give up all other conceptions and simply engage yourself in, my, in a loving relationship with me, no sin. You can do no wrong. And even if you do wrong, it's not wrong. Because you're right with me. That's Krishna consciousness. That's the distinction. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I need to process it a little bit. Okay. We're here all night. <laughs> <laughs> We're here week in and week out. <laughs> yeah, I guess John, John processing it too. That the permit could also mean allows, but he's allowing material energy to do its work, basically. He's allowing us to be illusioned by be that. Illusioned by it, mm -hmm. right? And we have a limited, it doesn't say we have, and I've been told this, I know that we have a, a limited amount of, I guess you want to call it free will. We do. Like Prabhupada mentions the misuse of independence. Because I was asked about that, about this idea that this without the sanction of the Paramatma, the, the Atma cannot do anything. But so why, how do you sort of, how does the Paramatma allow someone in this body to do something really heinous? You know, it's, it's not, that would be really problematic. If, if what? You, if you believe that there's sort of this puppet strings on every single person, and it's sort of like with the... Um, well, there are puppet strings to a certain extent. Those puppet strings are exerted upon the living entity through the material body. Right. What the, the, do, what the dog's range of activity is not equal to our range of activity. Mm -hmm. Or the, you know, the shark's range of activity. Or the tree. Every body, the material nature, puts a restriction upon us. A covering, yeah. Yes. Now, Krishna consciousness means we become aware of the fact that this covering has nothing to do with us. The 400,000 species can develop that consciousness. The other 8 million, it's not possible. Any more processing? Or should we move yeah. on? Where did you get the, uh, the, the numbers on that? Is that from the Bhagavatam? Mm -hmm. There's actually a specific verse. I don't know if the verse is Bhagavatam. You? With the species of life? Is that a Bhagavatam verse? I'm not sure. Or from one of the other Upanishads? Or Puranas? I'm not sure. But there's an actual verse that has the numbers in it. Mm -hmm. But Prabhupada quotes, Six, quotes the figures 
We'll go on here. What what are the what what is the relationship of Paramatma? That's what Krishna is speaking to in this twenty third verse. So he's the overseer, he's the permitter, he's the master, and he's the supreme enjoyer. Now, if we think back, where does this word bhokta? Where did we read this before? Where was that? Right after the four core verses. Arjuna said, he says, You are the supreme enjoyer. Now I see. Yes, I accept you. But not that I accept you. All the great sages, they also put forth the same acceptance of you as the supreme personality of Godhead. Krishna had just completed explaining Aham Sarvashya Prabhavo Matasaram Pavartate that he is the source. So the four key verses of Bhagavad Gita were spoken, and then Arjuna says, Bhoktaram Yajna Tapasam, you're the supreme enjoyer. You're the supreme Lord. You're the supreme in every regard. This is my conclusion. But who am I? But other great saints and sages, they also came to this conclusion. Narda, Sita, Devala, Vyas, all these devotees, they see you in that way. So again, super soul, enjoyer, Mahaisvara, Maha, Maha, great, the greatest, Isvara, the Supreme Lord. Hmm. Parama Atma, the super soul. We are Atma, but there's a greater Atma. Parama, the supreme. The supreme Atma is also here with us. Paramatma. Mm. Cha, and, indeed. I'll also give you some other translations of these words. These are by Baladev Vidyabhushan. So, first of all, understand, he says in his... Uh, commentary, we need to understand that the super soul is swamsa. It is an actual expansion of the Lord himself. It's his energy, his personal, his personality is super soul dwelling in the heart, in our heart, in every living entity's heart, in every atom. He pervades the whole material cosmic manifestation, but he's explained earlier, but he's also separate from it. It's his energy. He pervades it. But he's also separate. Analogy, the sun is there. The rays are coming from the sun. But the sun is distinct from the energy of the sun. It's distinct, but without the sun, the rays have no potency. Simultaneously, one and different. Drasta, witness. Upa, close. Paramatma is close. It's the closest. No one is closer to us than Paramatma. Not your husband, not your wife, not your dog, not your children. Krishna is the closest in his Paramatma feature. Upa, Anumanta, bestower of favors. Everything that comes to us is coming by the mercy of Paramatma. He's the benefactor. He's our supreme benefactor. 
Not our employer, not our husband, not our father, not our grandfather, not our nation, not, our, not any of those things. All the benedictions, the supreme benefactor for all of us is Paramatma. Bharta, he's a supporter. Bhokta, protector. Another translation for the word Bhokta. He's the ultimate protector. Again, whatever you think that's protecting you, really, if we go back, if we go and we go and we go and we see what is the underlying principle of our protection, that's Krishna. And in this material world, specifically in his manifestation as Paramatma in the heart of every living entity. We'll move on. One more verse here. One who understands this philosophy concerning material nature, the living entity, in the interaction of the modes of nature, is sure to attain liberation. He will not take birth here again regardless of his present position. That is how transcendentally potent the knowledge of Bhagavad Gita is. It ends birth and death. Just coming to this understanding of Krishna, of his external energy, of his feature as Paramatma, as his expansions, the jivas, whose consciousness pervades the entire universe. Wherever we look, we see living entities. They're everywhere. And even the ones, even there's living entities we can't even see. How many are there? We can't count. To have this knowledge, this knowledge is so transcendentally powerful that Krishna is giving here that if we can get a glimpse of this knowledge, even if we're in the most precarious material situation, with or without material desires, whatever our situation is, if we can simply take the shelter of this transcendental knowledge, we are going to be relieved of the miseries of material existence. That's how powerful this knowledge is. I misspoke. I'm going to go over two more verses. <laughs> 25 and 26. How do we get this knowledge? What are the practices by which one acquires this knowledge? In verse 25, Krishna outlines the three, three practices of uh, yoga uh, which lead one to this knowledge. Jnanis, the jnani yogi, philosopher, uh, the karma mishra bhakti, the one who works without fruitive desire, and the astanga yogi, the practitioner of meditation. All three of these transcendentalists can come to this understanding of super soul and the individual soul and the material nature. And then Krishna goes on in the 26th verse, and as for the rest of us, that includes me, that can't do this astanga yoga, who don't have a great philosophical mind to, de to delve into the depths of a full understanding of Sankhya philosophy to those who can't go off to the Himalayas and sit in France until they actually have purified their heart to such an extent they can actually perceive super soul 
They actually, there are yogis in prior ages and even in this age who are remnants of those prior ages that are still living that, that actually perceive super soul. For the rest of us, Krishna goes on in the next verse and he covers us. What's he say? Again, there are those who, although not conversant in spiritual knowledge, that don't have the knowledge of these disciplines, of Sankhya, of Astanga, of Karma Mishra Bhakti. But we begin to worship the Supreme Personality upon hearing about him from others. Who are the others? Krishna's devotees. Because of their tendency to hear from authorities, they also transcend the path of birth and death. So the easiest path is laid out here in this verse. We don't have to become the Astanga Yogi. We don't have to become the Sankhya philosopher. We need not become a perfect, uh, one perfect in the discipline of karma kanda according to scriptural injunction. Karma kanda meaning how you have to do everything perfectly under direction of scripture without attachment to the result. We don't need all that. Because in this verse, Krishna speaks to the potency of hearing, simply hearing from authority. And the process of devotional service begins at that platform. Shravanam kirtanam vishnu, smaranam padasevanam. Shravanam Kirtanam, hearing about Krishna and repeating what we hear and chanting his holy names. Next week we'll conclude this chapter. I've gone over as always. Are there any questions or comments? Thank you for that. Hare Krishna.